We are live for a new episode of the Electric Podcast. I am Fred Lambert, your host, and as usual, I'm joined by Seth Wintra. How are you doing today, Seth? I'm good. All right, all right. And this episode of the Electric Podcast is brought to you by Any Hill. You can check out Any Hill's latest UM2 electric scooters featuring a new powerful brushless motor with a maximum 750-watt motor output power and detachable LG battery pack. You can check out their website, Any Hill, for more details. But we're also going to have a little bit more to say about them later on the show. Thanks to them for sponsoring the podcast this week. Um, if you haven't, if you're... Well, if you're listening too, that would be <laughs> that would be important. But uh, both, if you're watching on the video, you might see that I'm on a different location right now. Um, this is the first time I'm trying out the new podcast studio that uh, I'm building. It's not complete yet. There's still a lot of improvement to do. So if you guys have any feedback in terms of like the video and the sound, uh, that would be welcome. But hopefully, everything should we we did a few tests before. It should be fairly smooth. Um, but if if like audio doesn't match anything like that, please let us know. That would be super helpful. Well, let's jump in. We have a few news items to discuss in the EV world this week, and then we're going to jump into your questions and comments. So if, if you guys have any question about any of the news items we discuss, discuss today or any other topics in the EV community that uh, you think are interesting to elaborate on, please put them in the comment section right now. I want to get to them in about 30, 40 minutes, something like that. We're going to start out with an FSD, full self-driving beta update that Tesla started pushing this week uh, to employees. And I think they are just now starting to reach um, like their core group. Like Tesla has kind of like levels of uh, uh, people in the beta. It's not like uh, it's not everyone is equal in, in the beta. It's uh, normally it starts. Well, there's always internal testing uh, with the actual engineers working on autopilot and or full self-driving. Then there is the wider internal fleet where it's employee testing but it's not necessarily employees that are on the uh, fsd program or autopilot program they're just testing with um, for tesla and keeps everything close to the family then there's like the first phase of the earliest beta <laughs> testers normally let's say that the beta testers that tesla trust the most maybe um and uh, i think we are we're there right now with this new software update uh, which is software update uh, 10.69.3. So Tesla is like not shifting to the week number instead now. They are just sticking with 69 because Elon love that number. And uh, and so now we have the version 3 of that 69 version. So uh, based on the release note, it's a lot of like, uh, there's not a lot of new features, features in this update. Like it's not doing things that it wasn't capable of doing before necessarily. It's more like a, a, a wide ranging of like high level neural net updates that improve the overall performance of the system. So we can go through a few of them just to, to, to let you guys know. Uh, but uh, if you're not familiar with the Tesla FSD release note, they're kind of uh, um, technical, very technical. So upgraded object detention network. So, so ob object detention, that's all capitalized. So that means that's an actual neural net. So Tesla has a, like dozens of neural nets working. And the, each time they improve one, it can improve the performance. So the, the object detention network has been upgraded to photon count video streams and retain all parameters with the latest auto-label data set with a special emphasis on low visibility scenarios. So it sounds like Tesla is now able to do better at low with low visibility so you, you often get that and I, I was driving a lot earlier this week and on fsd and I, I would often get like alerts of the visibility is not great right now and 
uh, it felt like maybe the, the, the FSD wanted to get off, but um, still, I, again, I don't have, I didn't have the update at that point. But uh, it's it's not doing it as good as it should be, so it lets you know. So that might have improved with this update here. Uh, also, an improved architecture for better accuracy and latency. Uh, higher recall for faraway vehicles, lower velocity error for crossing vehicles by 20%, and improved VRU precision by 20%. So significant numbers improvement here. And uh, yeah, there's a, a lot of those in there. A lot of uh, road markings improvement, like 38.9% for uh, lane topology error at intersections. So that, that that's great because there's a lot of times where Tesla acts weird in intersection where it, um, it it sorts of doesn't it doesn't go by the line necessarily. It goes by the um, the stop signs instead or something like that. Which is as you, I mean I don't know about everywhere i'm sure that's different different markets but uh here often you would see like the stop sign being in a position that's just optimized for people seeing the stop sign versus the actual stop line uh, which uh if you <laughs> if you know how to drive you're supposed to stop at a stop line um so a lot a lot of different uh neural nets upgrade on this one. We haven't tried the update just yet. I I, I did see an update in my, coming to my car. I just didn't have a chance to go to it. I wish Tesla when because they now they, they let you uh update your car, your software through the app. You don't need you know you used to have to go to the car and accept the update. Now you can do everything through the app. I wish they would also let you know what's the update in the app. <laughs> now you like you can Authorize it to install it. You can install it from the app, but then you have to go to your car to see the release notes, see what's up. Uh, so I wish they would let you know straight in, in, in the app. So as soon as we get the update, uh, we're going to do a little testing. I just got a new nice little camera mount for my car. Uh, so I won't need to have my girlfriend in the car filming me <laughs> when I do FSD beta test, which right. should make things smoother. Not having her stressed, like, eh, what is car doing? What the car is doing? Which I can understand. All right, speaking of FSD beta, uh, Tesla gave last week a, a demonstration to the California DMV uh, for um, for the FSD beta. So if you haven't been following, there's like a little little feud going on between the California DMV and uh, and Tesla. Especially since uh, the California DMV is in charge in California to oversee any, any oversee any uh, driver assist vehicle program and full self driving up to full self driving, so level two up to level five, and uh, the the request things like disengagement reports, things like accident reports, obviously, and uh, Tesla is being able to get away from that by just claiming that uh, their, their their system is not self driving, even though they call it that. Uh, it's in beta and it requires driver attention all the time, and so so they, they basically like play with the terminology to to not have to report, which has been criticized a lot because the logic behind it is as simple as like the, they don't want to give any data that can be used against them, uh, and you know Tesla said that before. I mean, it was in the uh, NDA that uh, early beta testers were signing, like don't give any ammunition to. The critics, they said, which is uh, which is kind of a weird thing to do for something as important as this. Like when, when safety is involved, like I understand, like any tech company are very close to their data; they don't want to share anything. But 
But in this case here, it's such a big thing to try to achieve, trying to achieve self-driving vehicle and involve the self, the safety of not just the people in the Tesla vehicles, but people on the world in general. So I feel like Tesla should be a little bit more open with their data here, at least as open as other companies are doing it. Like Waymo is, is sharing the data on that front and everything. I know, I know there's the, that, that's, that's what's so confusing people because there are clear differences between the way Tesla is doing self-driving and companies like Waymo and Cruise. So there is an argument to be made which they shouldn't be treated the same, but ultimately they are all trying to do the same thing. It's just achieve self-driving. And uh, we need ways to, to track progress other than just anecdotal experiences that you see better testers having. And Elon, in, in this case, what was really interesting here is that, so Tesla was kind of uh, against doing the demonstration, not, not because the DMV was involved, but because they had three advisor with them too, that they were going to be present at the demonstration. And Tesla, more specifically, Jennifer Cohen, Tesla's head of policies and business development in California, wrote a letter to Miguel Acosta, who was in charge of the autonomous vehicle programs at the DMV, uh, saying that they were not comfortable with the consultant being there because they previously had uh, negative comments about Tesla's uh, self-driving effort. And uh, it's interesting because we're, we're not talking about like ty, uh, what's, uh, Taylor, Taylor Hogan and, and people like that kind of yeah. critics. Uh, we're, we're talking about like people that have like mild comments and like, uh, I can give you an example. Um, so someone named Steven, Steven, oh boy, that's a tough name. <laughs> Uh, Schlad, Schladover, Schlad, I'm sorry if I missed this, Mr. Steven is uh, yeah. a transport uh, research engineer at the University of California at Berkeley, which like, you know, is a, he's in that space. And he said that the, the Tesla's use of the term self-driving has been very damaging. And uh, I mean, it's not that harsh of a thing to say. And it, I, mean, I mean, it's kind of true that Tesla has been kind of loose in the use of the term self-driving because they've been selling a self-driving package for six years and they are never delivered actual self-driving. So there, there's definitely room for critics here. Um, Brian Walker-Smith, an athlete scholar at the Stanford Law School Center for Internet and Society. Uh, he, um, he, all he said really is that uh, he think that Tesla, Tesla's FSD beta should follow the same rules as the other autonomous vehicle program that are being tested in California, uh, which is, I assume, what the DMV is the reason why the DMV is testing it right now, and they might they might decide after the demonstration, like, yeah, this is kind of what we're here for. You, you, we're here to monitor that kind of things, and if you don't share the data with us, we won't be able to monitor this. So it looks like that guy might have already his mindset on on this. So like Tesla is like, yeah, well, if I was Tesla, I would be like, all right, this is an opportunity to change their mind. And you know, Elon is always saying the same thing when people are asking him about the FSD beta these days. He's always just try it for yourself. Uh, you, you're going to see how great it is. Like, well, have the critics try it and, and, and see if you can change their mind. But uh, kind of disappointed that there wasn't Tesla's uh, his approach here. They were like, yeah, how about you? Don't have the advisor comes. And then <clears throat> when are we going to find out what they thought about it? Well, I don't know if we are exactly ever going to find that out, uh, but uh, we the, it's, the DMV right now looks to be considering if they should force Tesla to um, release that data so that, that that's going to be the next step, I think. But there's even talk about the DMV e even like having issues with Tesla's nomenclature when it comes to their packages. So uh, autopilot and full self-driving, they, they might want to force Tesla to change 
uh, the way they address those. So, and we know there's a few things going on at the same time right now. There's reportedly this DOG investigation into Tesla's use of the, those terms and promises related to full self driving. They are there's this um, class action lawsuit going on at the same time. There's a bunch of things like Tesla has a lot to deal with when it comes to this. Um, of course, they can always just surprise everyone and actually deliver the full self-driving system, and that would shut everybody up. But uh, right now, I think uh, I think I think the lawyers need to get involved because it's not doesn't seem to be close to do that. I mean, even if Tesla had a ninety nine point nine nine effective full self-driving, and it was as good or even better than humans, the government and all these municipalities would have a hard time, you know, running through it. And, and okaying it, I think. So even when Tesla does get, and everybody else does get to a full self-driving that is as good as humans, there's still going to be some work to do after that. Oh, for sure. Like the, that's what uh, Elon called it, the race to the nines. Like how many nines are you going right, to need right. to really do it? So that's that I agree with him that it's going to be, and it's going to be, like you said, it's going to be different too, depending on, on what kind of... Uh, entities uh, regulators are in charge and what, what markets but for sure there's like i think i think that's not going to be that big of an issue because especially as soon as especially a big market um gives the green light i think because of the impact being so strong in like everyone can can imagine just if you if you have it through self-driving uh, let's say like three or four nines <laughs> after the 99 so it's extremely safe it's safer than human uh, you, the impact is so big on 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 this market that uh, other markets are just going to have to follow. Even though the they they might need a little bit more reassurance, um, I think. That, but at this point, Tesla has other issues than just that too. Than the regulators, like there is serious question whether Tesla can can achieve full self driving with their current approach to start with. A lot of people have questions with, about about that, and uh, and at this at this point, the the even though, like Elon says, the, the exponential uh, improvement with uh, full self-driving beta proves that they can do it. Like a lot of people just don't see it. Uh, and I used to be very optimistic about that. Like even though I, I have been critical of full self-driving beta, the more I use it, uh, the harder it is for me to see them closing the gap with the current hardware uh, that they have. It's uh, it's scary, really. Especially for someone who paid four thousand dollars for this thing. Yeah, can imagine people paying fifteen. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't even imagine right now. Yeah. So speaking of the full self driving program, our Andrew Caperdi, when he left this summer, that was a big hit for it because he he was a big part of it. Obviously, leading uh, computer vision and uh, artificial intelligence at Tesla for five years, and he basically built the um, AI team at Tesla. And uh, yeah, the very interesting uh, podcast appearance on the Lex Friedman podcast, which is a podcast I recommend to everyone. Um, yeah, it's good. Maybe not the Kanye West one. Like, I think people should just stop giving a platform for Kanye West until he. Wait, Kanye he, West went on Lex. Probably? Yeah, I mean, it, it was, was the reason. Yeah, yeah, right after his, his comment about Jewish people. Oh wow, nice. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> we don't need to get in that, <laughs> obviously, but. Um, 
I, I mean, it was the best one that in everything that Kanye did lately, like uh, the Pierce Morgan one, everything. Like, I, I don't know about that, but so I think Lex did it with the right intention. But I'm of the opinion that when someone is obviously having like a psychotic episode or whatever the term is for the mental issues that Kanye West has, I feel like you just don't give him a platform for a little bit, let him get better, and then like, all right, right. Man, let him explain his. Uh, is obviously like but uh, the opposite is true like every single person wants to interview him because yeah, they I mean, know he's going to say something crazy yeah it's clickbait for you right there but i i really like friedman's approach to it but I, obviously this is uh Kanye west is whatever is billionaire visionary that's how he, he wants to be called uh but friedman mainly uh interviews engineers and scientists and uh, it's always extremely interesting because he's obviously incredibly knowledgeable but still knows how to approach it in a way that even non-technical people can can get something out of it and that was no exception for the uh, andre interview and obviously he addressed first of all he addressed why he left tesla uh which uh, according to andre it was the because he his position at tesla was becoming too managerial like he, it was all about meetings it was all about hiring people and everything and uh, not as much hardcore engineering which he likes to do so he decided to step away from that, which I, I, I would assume, like, I'm sure that's partly true, but I, I would believe that there's a little bit more to it than that, because I'm sure that if he, if he just told Elon, like, I, I, I'm managing, I'm tired of managing right now, and I just want to step away and, and do actual engineering or whatever, or put me like another project or that I can just do by myself or whatever. Or having like a, a small like what, what do they call it the, the team where where there's no bosses like a, like a, Valve does that like a, like a, well, yeah a flat uh, uh, it's not a hierarchy but like it's <laughs> anyway there's no there's no bunch like everyone works with each other you could have done something like that and I'm sure that you, like when you have someone like that on your team Andre like Capriti you don't you don't want to lose him so you don't say now if you're not a manager anymore like i don't want you to work so i'm sure there's a little bit more to it than that there's probably something else he wants to do uh but of course he says he wants to work with agi but tesla is also wanting to work with agi so who knows but then uh, interestingly he said that he's uh he's not against the fact of coming back uh, to tesla so he said it would be interesting to 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 come back and especially he mentioned Optimus, uh, the robot, and uh, and AGI again because he knows that Tesla wants to uh, contribute. Well, that's uh, how Elon presented it: contribute to achieving uh, artificial general intelligence. And uh, Elon quickly responded to that uh, he would be always welcome at uh, Tesla. All right, this I found really interesting and potentially uh, very big for Tesla here. I know it sounds like a small thing, but there was a report this week that uh, Tesla is sending up to 200 Chinese engineers uh, that worked at Tia um, Factory Shanghai, and they are sending them to Fremont Factory to optimize the factory for higher volume production. So this this is significant. Like two two hundred engineers, no joke. Like this is a, a big input uh, that can have a massive impact on a short period of time. And obviously, what Tesla is trying to do here is replicate the, the success that is Gigafactory uh, Shanghai. Because um, I, I repeated it in my article here, but uh, if you're not familiar with the timeline, Tesla broke ground in 2019, early 2019, and started production by the end of that year. And now. Three years later, 
uh, the factories producing a million vehicles per year on well annualized basis. Like they, I don't think they, I don't think they're gonna, they're gonna end twenty twenty two with a production of a million, but a weekly basis now they have a production capacity of a of a million car. So this is this isn't like ne never seen a thing in the auto industry ever. Like there's no faster ramp from. Like from break, not not just like zero production from breaking ground. Yeah, like a dirt field to yeah, a mud like a mud pit. Like I don't know if you remember this. The, yeah, the, the the land that they get factory Shanghai, but it was basically a mud pit, and uh, they turned that into a factory that's producing a million vehicles per year, and not just like a million like crappy vehicles. Because I know like that's the that's the thing that people always come up with like when 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 we talk about. Chinese manufacturing is like, yeah, but it's just about cheap labor and things like it. Yes, cheap labor helps. There's no doubt about it. But uh, you cannot deny just Chinese engineering talent, especially when it comes from manufacturing. Because I, I, I pull out this stat in my article here too. Let me uh, look it up to make sure I'm not mistaken. So in 2020, China produced 1.3 million engineering bachelor degrees. Uh, compared to the U.S., that's less than 200,000 and uh, I couldn't find the data exactly because I, I know that 200,000 includes computer science engineering in the U.S. I don't know if 1.38 million in China includes, uh, in, includes computer science. But here's the other thing, too. So, like, so in pure number, like they beat us. Uh, of course, you can talk about quality, like is, is the quality different and everything. Like I'm not going to – I'm not – exactly willing to say that uh, computer degree in China is, is, is worse than a computer degree in the U.S. Um, to start with, but also what I want to say is that out of these 1.3 million new engineers that they have in China, what's the percentage of, of them that goes to manufacturing instead of going to other uh, engineering fields that are a little bit more flash? At least in the U.S., it's a little bit more flash. Like People say that they're going to go into manufacturing is not as uh, interesting that if they, they tell you that they go, I'm going to electrical engineering, I'm going to uh, mechanical engineering, things like that. They, they focus on industrial manufacturing. It's just not as flashy in the U.S., but in China it is because they have a strong manufacturing uh, industry. So there's a lot more engineering going there. You, you can deny that. Okay, this is as this, those are just facts. So obviously you're going to end up with a different uh, level of talent there. And um, and Tesla took full advantage of that. And Gigafactory Shanghai is the is the result. So now they want to replicate that in the U.S. by bringing the talent here. You, you you hear that a lot, like back in the days. Like this is not like new. Like Tesla didn't like just came up with that idea. You, you remember, like especially in the '90s and '80s, like when 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 uh, Toyota like just established its manufacturing dominance in the in the auto industry. Um, they would they would bring a lot of Japanese engineers to the U.S. to 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 uh, optimize their factories in the U.S. here, like instead of just hiring a bunch. Of, so there's a lot there's a lot there's a generation of auto uh, automotive manufacturing engineers in the U.S. that have been trained by <laughs> Japanese engineers. That's kind of an interesting factoid right there. But um, hey, you want to know another interesting factoid? Go ahead. I got my degree in industrial and systems engineering. So I, I spent a lot of time looking at factories in school and didn't use it at all. <laughs> yeah, you're right away. You went into IT, right? I, I forgot yeah. that, that you're, I thought, that, I thought your, your degree was in IT. But... No, engineering. <laughs> yeah, because there was like no, <laughs> nowhere to go to work in the US. You, you, well, no, when you went to China, you went to work in IT too. Yeah, I was in IT. Um, yeah, so 
And, and specifically, uh, the report from Bloomberg says that they're going to Fremont uh, to optimize Fremont. We know that Tesla has been trying to ramp up Fremont. So right now it's about 600,000 units per year that it can produce. And in the past, Elon has talked about like a, a million unit possible in Fremont, but the Fremont is packed up real tight. Um, so uh, uh, they might have to revise that goal, but uh, I, can, I can see it probably get to like 700, 750, something like that, which would make a big difference. And also you can imagine if, if that trip of those 200 engineers is successful in Fremont, you can imagine they'll be making a trip in Texas soon too, and maybe one in Berlin. Yeah, I mean, that just I know, on a high level makes a lot of sense. Like you mm -hmm. want to cross-pollinate your, you know, your learnings. Um, so, you know, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, bring a few uh, Chinese engineers, a few translators, and just increase your output. <laughs> yep. Okay, staying with Tesla in China, uh, we reported last week on the, the price cuts that Tesla did in China for uh, the Model 3 and Model Y. Significant, like five, ten percent private cut on, on those two vehicles, and then suspension of uh, new uh, of um, not tax credit, but uh, incentive going away. And the um, so we we got the numbers for uh, that's uh, September. Uh, no, the, no, September was 80, the numbers for October, and they are down from September from 83,000 units to 71,000 units. And that's the output of Yucatan, Shanghai. That I wouldn't put too much emphasis on that, to be honest, because month to month is not really the way to look at it. You, 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 year over year, obviously, is the best way. But um, if you want to stay more short term, it's, you're better off to go to the same month of the previous quarter. So in this case, it would be. October was the first month of the fourth quarter, so you go to the first month of the third quarter. But in this case, that's not good either because that was July, and July they said the factory shut down, so they just produced twenty-eight thousand units. So, but I wouldn't be worried too much about the month-to-month -month decrease. But what we are hearing is that the price cuts are already having an impact on the demand for Tesla vehicles in China because the, uh, at least according to Mr. Jeff Chong, from a city analyst. Uh, they did a dealer dealership check, so I assume that they call dealerships and they, they, they check like the backlogs there. And uh, they say that uh, test. Uh, let me quote it directly so I don't paraphrase. We sense uh, Tesla's recent price cut strategy has created a negative spillover effect, where a lot of China EV brands order backlog has suffered significant order cancellation, according to our to our dealership channel checks. So this is interesting. He didn't, he didn't name the specific one, but I would assume things like Neo and, and Xpeng and things like that, which are closer to Tesla's direct competitors. Of course, BYD, but BYD is not having any issues. <laughs> They're like delivering like 200,000 vehicles a month in China, something like that. Um, of course, some of them are hybrids, uh, uh, plug-in hybrids, not all electric, but still. All right, we got a good news from Panasonic. Uh, we reported last month that they selected Kansas City for the um, for, for the second battery factory in the U.S. after Gigafactory Nevada, which they share with Tesla. And um, now the uh, the announced that they're breaking ground. Actually, actually, I think they did it yesterday, though they announced earlier this week. Uh, what they announced is that actually the the capacity that they plan to um, to have there. So the plan specifically, the breaking ground is at DeSoto. 
Kansas, which is just outside of Kansas City on, on the Kansas side, because of course Kansas City is like split in half with uh, Missouri. And uh, they are planning a 30 gigawatt hour capacity there. So it's a significant capacity, not quite what they're doing in Gigafactory Nevada, but still a decent output. And um, interestingly, so we, we thought that might be a factory where they would focus on 4680 battery cell production, so the new format that Tesla is adopting. But Tesla itself has been kind of weird about uh, the rollout of the, of the 4680, where we thought they would be in like the Tesla Semi, for example, and it's not. Uh, the Even the Cybertruck is kind of uh, in the air, whether it's going to use 4680 or, or, or not. So so we don't know what's really happening with 4680. Uh, and in this case, the Panasonic confirmed that they're going to produce 2170, at least at first. So so they, they're talking about first phase. So they, they say that they're going to be higher output, higher than two, than 30 uh, gigawatt hour, and maybe even different formats of cell produced at the factory. But for now, for the first phase, it's going to be 2170 up to 30 gigawatt hour. And uh, in terms of the timing, like I said, they're breaking ground right now. And um, sorry, I'm trying to find out if, unless they didn't share it exactly when they expected production to start. No. Playing it safe, Panasonic, not sharing. Uh, yeah. Uh, mass production targeted to begin end of March 2025. So we still have a little ways to to go here. But uh, yeah, 30 gigawatt hour more battery production coming to the US. That's still quite significant. Uh, should we do a little had read for our friends at Amy Hill? Yeah. All right. Uh, this week's episode is sponsored by Any Hill Electric Scooters. Any Hill's latest UM2 electric scooters offer super stable riding performance and include a new powerful brushless motor with maximum 750 watt motor output. You'll also find a detachable high quality LG battery that uses 2170 LG lithium ion battery cells. The UM2 along with Any Hill's other scooters include a unique three second fast folding system and a dual brake system with both an electronic brake and a mechanical brake. Any Hill's latest lineup also includes a double-sided kickstand, three-speed adjustment mode, and a fixed-speed cruise control function, and an integrated high-brightness anti-glare LED headlight to provide maximum nighttime visibility up to 35 feet. So basically, it has everything. You can get you can currently get the UM2 for a special limited time, limited time price by hitting the link in the show notes or visiting anyhill.com. Thanks again to Any Hill for sponsoring this week's show. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. Uh, next on the uh, roll for news item is the EQE pricing being launched in, uh, in the U.S. So we have official pricing for the EQE starting at $75,000. So we're kind of excited for the EQE because even though we really like the EQS, it's, uh, it's not cheap. Uh, starts at what one hundred and five thousand dollars, something like that. Yeah, over a hundred. Crazy. Yeah, it's, it's it's not cheap. And the EQE is uh, actually I like the format a little bit more. It's a little bit smaller. It's uh, I like even the look a little bit better. Even though they are, they are similar, it's a little bit less round, a little bit more aggressive looking, um, and uh, it's a little bit cheaper. No, not extremely cheaper. It's still a Mercedes, and it's still like a, like in the higher hand of like it's the equivalent of the E class really. So it's not like a C class or something like that. So they, they release all the trims, all the packages, and, and, and the pricing for them. 
And it starts with the 350 plus at $75,000. And then that's with the premium package, which uh, includes things like navigation services, parking, uh, surround view system, letter upholstery. So, so at least it starts with letter. Um, panoramic roof. And then you can upgrade to an exclusive package which adds uh, the augmented reality for navigation, which is Seth has been really impressed with when he tried it on the he tried on the EQS, I think. Yeah. Uh, and driver assist package system uh, that adds uh, $2,000 to the deal. And uh, then you have the Pinnacle package, which includes the four-zone climate control, air balance package, energizing comfort, heads-up display. Oh, I thought the heads-up display was the augmented and reality navigation that they were talking about. Uh, I'm a little bit confused about that. A 100-watt USB-C package. Ooh, that's weird. That you have to get the Pinnacle package to get... USB-C 100 watts in front, and the digital light package, and that starts at $80,000. And then you have the uh, 350 for and then EQE 500 for So that obviously is the all-wheel drive package. And then the uh, 500, that I think is the bigger battery pack, I would assume. Yeah, the 90... Uh, uh, okay, no, this is the same battery pack. Okay, that's not clear. Aside from pricing, we mostly only uh, know the spec of the 350, so we'll need to follow up with the further details, especially the IRL and the US dealership coming soon. The EQE 500 4 should be a dual motor, uh, all-wheel drive variant, so they will have an effect on the range. Okay, that, that's, so uh, it sounds like they haven't released the specs of the 350 and 500 4 but um, I would no, I would assume that both the 350 4 and 500 4 are all-wheel drive, because that's normally what Mercedes called Formatic, and uh, the 500 that has a bigger battery pack, in my opinion. And that one starts at $86,000 for with the premium package and goes up to $91,000 with, uh, with the Pinnacle package. And uh, we expect deliveries uh, to dealership by the end of the year for the 2023 model year Mercedes-Benz EQE. Pretty excited for this one. Yeah, I, you know, when we looked at those things together, like in uh, in Germany, my biggest takeaway was like, eh, the EQE, EQE looks pretty good. Like, and it's almost too close to the EQS in terms of size and appearance. It's like, uh, you know, if you want to sell something for 100000 you can't make something almost as good at 75000 So I think those are going to really sell well, the EQEs. Yeah, I mean... It's it's an easier sell too. That obviously they're not going to be eligible to the tax credit, but still, if you're in the market for a premium sedan, yeah, it's an easier sell than the EQS for sure. The EQS is more like it's near supercar level. All right, this was an interesting one here. Check out that headline: Subaru won't build electric cars in the U.S. because it can't compete with McDonald's wages. So that sounds like clickbait, right? But it's not. It's actually completely accurate. It's exactly what's happening. So if you're familiar with Subaru's effort in the electric vehicle market, and if you're not, don't worry. I can sum it up to you real quick. It's the Subaru Solterra. That's it. And it's not even that exciting because it's basically um, reskin. Uh, Toyota BZ4X. I always have issues with that name. It's probably one of the worst, worst names. Yeah, yeah, worst naming scheme in the in the uh, EV industry. 
uh, yeah, it's it's not even their car. Basically, it's produced by Toyota and badged by them. It's um, yeah, and it's not great. But and also, it's not going to get their the tax credit because it's not produced in North America. It needs um, since August, all electric vehicles that want to have the tax credit needs to be assembled in North America. And then next year, there's a bunch of other uh, there's there's a, there's a bunch of other criteria related to the battery production, battery component, and the critical minerals that are inside those batteries. But they don't even have to worry about that because as long as the, as long as they don't, it's not assembled in North America, it's not going to get it anyway. And um, so, of course, that resulted in a lot of foreign automakers looking into producing EVs in the U.S. And as we, we reported on dozens of investments like that over the last year. Uh, in anticipation for the change in the federal tax credit, and since it's been beneficial in, in reaction to it. Uh, but so during the last uh, earnings calls from Subaru, and Subaru had the great earnings, like they, they're, they're still doing well, but uh, I think they're, the, the clock is ticking for them now because of how slow they are to move to the electric. And they were asked about it. So, what are you going to do about the US market with the vehicles? Like, you're going to have a tougher time to compete, especially at the lower end, the 75. Like, Tesla gave a lot of hope to everyone because they lost the tax credit years ago and they still dominate sales in the U.S. So people are like, oh, do you really need the tax credit to, to, to be successful on uh, the U.S. EV market? And the, the answer is no. But Tesla is definitely at the higher hand of the market, though, though they have some cheaper options. Uh, and Subaru is, is kind of lower hand to mid-market, though you know, I, know, I know it's kind of a premium vehicles for some people, but I'm talking price-wise here. Like on the $45,000 vehicle, like the Solterra, $7,500 make a big difference. So if you don't get that, then you can get it on another car that's similar in terms of performance. Obviously, you're going to go on the car that you can get the $7,500. So it's an issue. So during the earnings call, the, the CEO, uh, Mr. Tonomi uh, Nakumara, was asked, do you have any plan to build EVs in the U.S.? And... I'm going to read the quote here because it's kind of comical, but uh, the reference to Indiana is the fact that uh, Subaru already has a plant in Indiana where they, they employ about 6,000 people when they produce the Ascent, the Impreza, the Legacy, and the Outback. Uh, so, so you reference that because like, it would make sense for them if they have an EV plant that they would do like a dual plant system like, like kind of Volkswagen has in, in Chattanooga, for example. Uh, so he says, in Indiana, part-time workers at McDonald's earn 20 to $25 per hour, which is in competition with what temporary workers make at our plant. If we were to build a new plant, it would be very difficult to hire new people for that. Labor costs are rising now. It is quite challenging for us to secure workers for Indiana plant, including those of suppliers. So he says basically they cannot compete with McDonald's for amid the labor shortages. So it's not going to happen. <laughs> that sucks. Yeah, it's not only it sucks, but it's it's kind of uh, it's not really inspiring at all. Like this is this is our leader, this is our CEO, and he's like, yeah, like uh, I cannot pay the same wages that McDonald's pay. So what like we're talking about building like a forty five a forty five thousand dollar product here extremely complex product with ten thousand parts in it and um you cannot pay them the same wage that mcdonald's pay their people that makes five dollar burgers like yeah i'm sure like it's it's a, it's a problem i understand like it's a, like the labor shortage is definitely a problem that needs solving but how about you we try to solve it instead of just like oh but mcdonald's just decided to pay them twenty dollars an hour we can't compete with that forget about it like, it's just, like that's not a solution that's Let's um, 
I'm sure there's things that can be done here. But uh sounds like Subaru won't be the one to do it. <laughs> no. I mean, right now, right now, Subaru, their only plans is to have their own dedicated EV production in Japan in 2027. So Japan is obviously their own market. So that's 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 their next step here. The next and by next step, I mean going from now, which is we have this rebranded Toyota EV that we're selling, which is not great either. And Toyota is having even a lot of issues with their own version of it. To, Wheels falling off, etc. Yeah, not small issues. To five years from now, we're gonna have our own production in Japan, so only yeah. our own market. And so, and here's here's in my opinion a bigger problem with with electric vehicles. It becomes a lot easier to make an all-wheel drive vehicle. So Subaru's thing was always like, hey, we can make all-wheel drive vehicles that you know that perform well and don't break down and all that other stuff. But now. You know, VW's got an all-wheel drive. Tesla's got an all-wheel drive. Like every, like, like Hyundai, Kia, everybody's got an all-wheel drive. You know, uh, crossover. So what is what is Subaru got now? Like they they make gas versions of all-wheel drive vehicles, but there's much better electric ones everywhere. So I I don't know. I I wouldn't buy Subaru stock right now. I I don't think I would go anywhere near it. No that company. No. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. They, they they have to give up on their marketing of uh, we have the best all-wheel drive. Uh, they, they they tried it with the Solterra, and uh, I think everyone that has like two brain cells were like, okay, like, uh, you just have a dual powertrain here. It's not about differential, about like linkages, none of that. It's just it's just two motors. Yeah, right. Um, so yeah, I mean they, they do have other like they have like safety, like good safety record, and they, they do advertise right. that too and everything. But I don't think that's and they have a loyal customer base. I mean, people have oh, yeah. Subarus that you know three hundred thousand miles, like yeah. in Vermont, they're all over the place. Yeah, I get it. Vermont, go to Colorado and everything. It's extremely popular there. Uh, but again, it was mainly popular because those are places that get a lot of snow and and. Uh, you, you, a lot of people believe that they they wouldn't they need all wheel drive when when there's snow. And um, this is so, and they really thought that. Well, I mean, Subaru was the, for internal combustion engine. They had a very good uh, all-wheel drive, but mm -hmm. it's not comparable to kind of torque you get from a, from an electric motor and the dual electric motor specifically. So, yeah, it's yeah. not looking good for them uh, unless yeah. they have a rapid change of heart and invest heavily. I don't see them surviving the transition to electric vehicle. I just don't. Yeah, I mean, maybe they slap their logo on something else. I guess that's what they're doing with Toyota stuff now. But yeah, like that's it, really. Yeah. They do. They're in terms of like this is specifically about building EVs in the U.S. Uh, due to the tax credit, and we we there there is some efforts right now. Like Japan, we reported to the Japan has been doing it, but uh, the EU has done it too, where they, they're putting some pressure on the U.S. government to change the rules because obviously they see it as a protectionist rule and it, it is but it is and it's not it's like it's it's like a continental <laughs> protectionist rule it's not like a country protectionist rule it's, it's since since technically they say north america like it's, it's not just the u.s like it, there it's also benefiting canada and and mexico mm -hmm. uh, but um yeah in, in japan i don't know about, i don't know much about japan's avian incentive but the eu there's a lot of incentive in, in europe for electric vehicles and they don't have those same protectionist laws so um they, they could be some negotiation going on where where they would they would all right if you if you want to keep doing this well we're going to do the same in, in europe for your vehicles that are coming in so 
we'll see how it plays out. But even if that happens, even if, if they do that, uh, I, I don't I don't see like Subaru catching up to anyone at this point. No. All right, should we get into the comment section? See if you guys have a few questions too. We know we have to have set the. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll get out of here. Five. All right, uh, Will Friedman, what do you think of Elon's comment from the earnings report that Dojo is still an unproven bet? He's not normally one to play down things. That that yes, we can confirm the second part. Yeah, yeah, I was surprised by that too. I, I remember that comment being like, "Oh, okay, yeah, okay, that's um, that's okay." But um, the, the, what we learned from Dojo from the AI day is that it is not a complete project. Like, so they they don't have the the first cluster yet, though they they seem to think that they're gonna have it Q one uh, of next year. So it's only months away, and. But that even that timeline doesn't match with a lot of <laughs> Elon's own timeline when it comes to self-driving. So it would make sense for him to try to uh, make it clear that he doesn't really need Dojo to achieve that. It's kind of a, it would help, but it, it, it's not necessary. So yeah, I wasn't completely shocked by the comment, but it, it, you're right. It is a, a deviation from Elon's uh, normal like hype machine type of uh, comments. All right. Uh, question from LinkedIn. Uh, will they decrease the prices eventually for the majority of society to purchase them? Wouldn't they make more income if more people were buying them? I don't even know what we're talking about. In this yeah, I'm kind of confused what we're talking like about. It would have been uh, full self-driving, I guess, at Tesla. I don't know. Going to have to be a little bit more specific on those. Yeah, or, or maybe talking about the vehicles, the Tesla vehicles. Huh. All right, we'll move on. Uh, Gakuponzi, one of the biggest problems is that those in charge of regulation, so we're now talking about yeah. uh, the reluctantly giving self-driving beta demo, uh, those in charge of regulation of autonomous vehicles are untrained and have little to no experience with their areas of responsibility. Uh, so... Uh, I mean, that's a blanket statement. I don't think that's true. Uh, There's certainly some truth to it, but uh, I don't think you can apply that to everyone. I'm sure a lot of people are just out there trying to make sure that the deployment of um, self-driving technology is safe. Oh, so he continues, the, these so-called third parties that are invited by California DMV have one or more conflicts of interest. Look into it. Always follow the money people. All right, we're putting on yeah, that. Yeah, but at this point, like everyone that's kind of a, of a conflict of interest when they become autonomous driving, like they, at some point or another, they work for someone. Like they, these people always jump around. Uh, you have to take it into account. I agree. But at the same time, like I, Tesla needs to be more open to criticism. It's it's uh, uh, it, it's becoming a problem. I think, you know. All right. Uh do a few more. KC5GTS says, what do you guys think about Aptera now? Are we optimistic? Yeah, actually, I've been looking into them today. Uh, I might have an article coming out. Uh, the, off, the It looks like they officially slipped the production timeline to next year. So uh, until re very recently, they were still mentioning production in 2022 at the end of 2022, to be fair. But still, so it sounds like they are slipping to at least deliveries next year. Maybe they still plan like a, a slow start of like early production. But <clears throat> I'm still very optimistic about them because, as we discussed before, it's not it's not a car. It's uh it's 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 not categorized as a car. It doesn't have the same regulations. 
so it's easier to bring to the market. Uh, not necessarily a lot easier. It's easier to bring to production too, but not a lot more easier. So there's um, going to be challenges on that front. But I, I'm still I'm still very very optimistic. I still uh, I still like the concept. I still I, I love yeah. the idea of just pushing the efficiency to a whole new level and and and, and just. A lot of people, they look at that thing and they're like, yeah, it's not as useful as my car. I don't want to replace it with my car. I, I get it. But if if the option is out there, a lot of people are going to look at it and like, you know what? For all the efficiency gains that you get from that, I can adapt that as like, this is going to be my new commuter vehicle. Right. And and then like, set you just bought you just you, you just bought your Chevy Bolt and another Chevy Bolt EV. If you guys have any issues trying to find Chevy Bolt EV out there, it's set buying buying them all. <laughs> Uh, you just bought a new one. To, uh, was it today? You bought, like, you I, bought? It's not coming until mid-November. Okay, so you placed the order today. But I found like a place that has a bunch of them. So yeah. if anybody wants a bolt, give me a give me a DM. <laughs> and um, so 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 you and you're gonna change your your Model Three for it. So you, you it's gonna be your new like around town vehicle, your new commuter exactly. vehicle. And when you go to like your skiing trip in, in Vermont or whatever, you take the Model Y. Exactly. Sense, having the kid, the dog. And all the stuff in there, and, and the full self driving, full self, well, <laughs> whenever that comes. Yeah, and uh, a supercharger network, though that's no joke. That that's yeah, that's that's, that's, that's real. A, a Tesla mode, but um, yeah, then I'm not saying that if the Aptera was out there, you would have bought the Aptera instead of the Bolt EV. But you, it, I'm sure it would have been in your consideration. It certainly, would have been in mine. Yeah, and. Um, Obviously, with the family, it's not as ideal, but uh, for, for, for a single person, for a couple, uh, it makes a ton of sense. It's just so much more efficient. Yeah. All right. Uh, that is all the questions. Um, yeah, I, I just want to mention something real quick. Oh, yeah. I said this was going to be on the podcast, but it, it's not what you see like right there. If you're watching on the show, you see like those little lights. I cannot I cannot show it completely because if I put my the, the backlights on, I'm still working on the studio and make it look cool and everything. And is that a cyber quad? It, it kind of looks like it in the dark right now, which is the lights open. Uh, no, it's not the cyber quad, but it's going to be a cyber quad competitor and probably you know, going to be on the market before the cyber quad if I was to uh, to bet. And now it's the the Tehran Reaver, um, Tehran like Charlie's Tehran, um, and uh, nice. Reaver R E E V R. And uh, it's an all-electric ATV that I'm going to be testing out this weekend. I'm going to have a video for you guys uh, soon on this channel if you're watching on YouTube. And obviously, we're going to discuss on the podcast next week. Yeah, what I was saying is like if I, I show it like with the lights on right now, it's just it screws the whole camera setup because the backlining is just too strong. I'm going to figure something out so that we can have some cool cars in the back while we do the podcast or something. But that's going to be in future episode. If you want to watch future episode, you know what to do. You subscribe right now. You hit that notification bell and you're going to know we're going to be notified when we are back on, which is generally at 4 p.m. every Friday Eastern time. Uh, but if you subscribe, you also get our new videos like the Reverb video coming up to you soon. You're going to... Um, uh, if you're listening on your podcast app, please give us a five-star review. It's free to do. It takes a second. And it helps the show more than you will ever know. All right. That's it for us this week. Thanks a lot to Amy Hill, too, for sponsoring this episode of the Electric Podcast. And we're going to see you same place, same time next week. Bye-bye.